Please take a seat. Uh, very warm welcome from me again. It's really great to have uh, regular faces here and many, many new faces over the summer. Churchill is a slightly strange place uh, in August, but we hope you have a, a great time here this morning. Uh, it's our habit at Christchurch Central Leeds to uh, preach through different scripts of the Bible. At the moment, we're looking at a series in the Psalms. We've just sung a psalm. The Psalms are praises to God. And uh, we're going to be looking at a psalm now. So if you've got a Bible, uh, please do open it to Psalm 77. Psalms are roughly halfway uh, through uh, your Bible. If you're new to Christian things, halfway through. About halfway through, you get to the Psalms and turn to Psalm 77, which I'll read shortly. But let me start by telling you um, a bit about what I did before I was a church minister. I used to work in uh, finance. I won't tell you the bank I worked for, but it basically corrupted the entire UK and global economy. Um, between 2004 and 2009. And it was at a time where uh, bankers were considered just slightly lower than estate agents and second-hand car dealers. I think they still are. And no offence to anyone in finance. Um, uh, but my, my experience working in a bank actually had many highs and lows. In many ways, I loved going out to businesses, uh, seeing how they worked, using my, sort of, the numerate part of my brain. Um, and I love meeting entrepreneurs who'd started their own businesses who were passionate about what they did. Um, and that was the highs. But there are many lows as well. And if you've ever worked uh, in, in a bank, you'll know exactly what I mean. They're very high-pressure environments. There's a very sort of um, aggressive culture within them. And if you make a mistake, uh, people love to give you a good kicking. And you ever uh, stop a plate from swimming, uh, from spinning or, or dropping a ball, they're the, they're the expressions used. You, you would get a hammering and you'd be called in front of the bosses and asked to explain yourself. In my first couple of years, my job wasn't actually that stressful. I reckon over two years, I had one or two sleepless nights and then I changed job. And in the first month alone, I had about two or three sleepless nights. And that was just as I was getting started. And then it was my experience over the next three years to have sleepless nights every single week. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I was so worried about how I was going to do my job well. I used to have a pad. Well, practice I learned was to have a pad at the side of my uh, bed and just write down things I'd thought of whilst I was dreaming. I was so incredibly stressed. I'd go away from a weekend, for a weekend, for a holiday. I could not stop thinking about work. But one of the blessings through that time was my personal discovery of Psalm 77. I, to be honest, I got it through there just up late at night, couldn't sleep, just flicking through the scripture. I came across this psalm. And during the sleepless nights, when I got the night frights, this psalm was a real blessing to me. And I, my prayer is that it's a real blessing to you. I imagine a few of us will be experiencing what I've just described at the moment of sleepless nights. But all of us will experience at some time or another, whatever your anxiety might be, it might be your health, it might be your finances, it might be your children, they're just the general areas. There could be loads of other areas that, you, that, that stop you from sleeping. And my prayer is that this psalm and the way that the psalmist thinks will help you and give you a measure of peace and comfort in those challenging times. And I should say we're going for a broader at series in Psalms at the moment. We started a few weeks ago in Psalm 73, then we saw Psalm 8, and we'll continue to go through them. And again, it's, it's, it's part of our prayer as a church that, that all of us as believers understand more how to engage with God in the nitty-gritty of life. You see, being a Christian is more than just about doctrine. It's more than just about knowing truth. It's about living it out and experiencing it 
and uh, relating to God himself. So with, with that introduction, let's go to Psalm 77. And just one thing about the psalm, you'll just notice that in the psalm, as the psalmist speaking, sometimes he's sort of speaking to us, the listener. Sometimes he's speaking to himself. You hear his internal dialogue. And sometimes he's speaking to God directly. And we're not told when, that's, when it changes, but just have that in mind. Otherwise, uh, the psalm might not make sense unless you clock that. So Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds pour out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So, Psalm 77, a particular psalmist experience. When I say the psalmist, the, the psalm is written by someone, we just call him the psalmist. And uh, we see that his experience, one of the things I love about the psalms, is that as well as some quite... Uh, particularly spectacular experiences you see the psalmist go through the ordinary experiences that we all go through and he wants his song to be our song or we should say God wants his this song to be our song as well to be our prayer and start with the first two verses uh, where we see a Christian a believer a Christian at prayer and it recounts the story of a man who was praying to God in times of trouble now perhaps uh, 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 perhaps it's uh, stating this is, is almost too obvious but the voice of doubt this psalm establishes that a Christian is someone who prays look at the first three words I cry aloud I cry aloud to God a Christian is someone who prays now you think okay that's totally obvious but just think about it a little bit more because I think there'll be many of us who would be churchgoers even in this room who realistically speaking prayer is not a regular habit of ours uh, we know prayer is a Christian thing to do because that's how uh, you become a Christian, don't you? Uh, the way to become a Christian is repentance and faith. And if faith is believing God's word, 
then repentance is simply speaking or praying to God of your failures, confessing to him of how you failed him, uh, and in doing so, claiming his mercy and grace. We've already done that this morning. We've spoken to our God. And we also know that um, prayer is what Christians do, uh, because prayer is the manifestation of faith. We don't have time to look at it now, but again, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is Luke chapter 18. And Luke introduces uh, this part of the gospel saying, Jesus then taught them a parable to help them to pray so that they might keep praying and not give up. And he tells this parable, which you can look at in your own time. And then the end of it, Jesus challenges his listeners saying, however, when the son of man returns, will there be faith on earth? In other words, he's saying that prayer is the manifestation of faith and to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a Christian. So prayer is what Christians do. And verse 1 and 2 shows a bit more what prayer looks like and sounds like. Verse 1 again, I cry aloud to God. These are audible words. He's vocalizing his thoughts. Prayer is the vocalization of words to the living God. Now, of course, we can pray silently. That's, That's a legitimate thing to do. But even then, it's the articulation of clear words. We're speaking to God. And although prayer can be done silently, again, in the scriptures... Uh, The norm is allowed, even when the psalmist is clearly on his own, but he's speaking aloud to God. It means taking, prayer is taking words. And, And in taking words, there is great comfort because God hears people who take words to him. Second half, verse one, he will hear me. Children, have you ever had the experience uh, when you're talking to your parents and they're just not hearing you? Mom, mom, mom. Dad, dad, dad. I mean, sometimes they do hear you, but they just ignore you. Apparently, some parents do that. Um, But if you're a Christian, God, your father, never does that. He never doesn't hear you. He always, always hears you. When you cry to him in your time of trouble, he will hear you. He will pick up the phone. Again, it's not like sort of playing darts. We're just trying to hit the target and you hopefully you get a bullseye. Or when you, uh, you know, taking a penalty, hope to hit the target. Every prayer always hits the target because God hears prayer. He hears every word. And it's wonderful. He hears the words in particular of those who cry to him, verse 2, in the day of trouble. He hears your woes. Again, we've all got friends like this, don't we, who they love it when we're, we bring our A game. We're on good form when we're laughing, when we're joking. Oh, yeah, come around, you know, share the good times. But then we've got trouble and we almost have to apologize to take the com- make the conversation more serious. And people aren't really interested. Maybe they'll be polite for a minute or two, but then uh, walk away. The banter, yes. Woes, not really. But God wants to listen to our troubles. In particular, he hears us in our troubles. And because of that, a Christian continues to pray to God. I think sometimes think, I'll continue to pray for God because I'm not sure he's hearing me. So I'll, I'll keep praying just in case he does. But actually, it's, it's the other way around for a Christian. I'm going to keep praying because I know that all of my prayers get through. I know that my God always inclines his heart to his people. So I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. Final thing I want us to notice about prayer is how physical it is. Uh, verse 2b, in the night... My hand is stretched out with wearying. Now, we often teach our children, in fact, that's how I teach my children to pray, say, hands together and eyes closed. I wonder if anyone else does that. 
Uh, I'm not sure that's particularly good. This psalm's really challenged me on that. I'm basically telling him to stop fidgeting. Is that the best thing I can say about prayer? Stop fidgeting? It's not what the psalmist says. He says, hands out. And I wonder if better for me, in family devotions, around the breakfast table, say, okay, children, hands out. We're going to pray now. Uh, hands out isn't the only expression of uh, prayer in the scriptures. Hands held up is very often one in the scriptures. We see, uh, uh, we see Daniel, when he's praying, he goes up to his room and he bows down to his God uh, physically. Uh, prayer is often very physical in the Bible. Again, it doesn't have to be, but it so often is. Again, in the New Testament, it's exactly the same. It's not just an Old Testament thing. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, uh, lift up holy hands in prayer. Uh, why? I think it's because when we express, I mean, literally see, see I'm doing it now, when we express ourselves, we often physically move. Um, as a thought experiment afterwards, um, just observe people uh, when they're having tea and coffee together. And particularly those who are animated will probably start using their hands, except now they won't because everyone's so self-conscious of it. <laughs> uh, two hands on coffee. But it's because prayer is an expression of our emotion and our feeling. It's about the inner person being passionately engaged with their gods. So a Christian is someone who prays. Again, children, if I say, what does a policeman do? You might say, um, uh, uphold laws. What does a teacher do? Teach. What does a cricketer do? Play cricket. What does a chef do? Cooks. What does a Christian do? They pray. Now, of course, Christian is more than that, but certainly not less than that. And it's really important that we take stock of this. Because very often we think, Christianity is often confused of uh, what's often known as therapeutic moral deism. Therapeutic, it's something that makes me feel better. Uh, moral, it tells me how to live. Deism, it's just a belief uh, in, in a God. But we want to say, uh, no, 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 it's far more than that. Guys at the back, just come and grab a seat anywhere. Just, just come, uh, loads of seats on the front. Christianity is more than just therapeutic uh, moral deism. It's speaking to the living God. And so let me ask you, you come to church, but do you pray? Do you pray? And when was the last time you came to God with your troubles? Do you speak to him? Was it today? Was it this week? Was it earlier in the summer? Um, or actually, have you never really spoken to God? Because this is the promise held out in the scriptures that when you speak to him in the times of trouble, he hears you. The creator of heaven and earth hears you. Is that not a wonderful thing? Is that not a wonderful thing? A Christian is someone who prays. And in one sense, although it's what a basic to a Christian, we, I, I think my, my concern is very often actually a lot of us are stuck as baby Christians because we don't really ever pray. A mature Christian is not someone who knows their Bible, who knows their theology, is maybe Reformed or Presbyterian. That is not what a mature Christian is. A mature Christian is someone who brings their troubles to the Lord. It's their habit to do so. So, verse 1 to 2, a Christian at prayer. But of course, there's a lot more to the experience of a Christian uh, than just prayer. And wonderfully, God knows that. And he's so gentle with us in our weakness. And that's why he gives us this psalm. And some of us will actually be real prayer warriors. They're saying, I, I pray all the time, and yet life is so tough. In fact, being a Christian is so tough. And that's exactly what the psalmist says 
in uh, Psalm uh, 77. He prays, but it's not all rosy because he is going through a time of trouble. And it's so helpful that the psalmist paints a picture of uh, this reality for us. And prayer is not something that we do that is just trite and trivial. I remember uh, when we were on the mission field praying with a family, and they did a really wonderful thing, um, slightly depending on uh, how you're inclined. They used to sing grace together. And we used to go around not quite knowing the words. And it was a beautiful thing. They were really happy uh, and praying and slightly cringy. Oh, I'm not sure how to join in on this. And trying to be enthusiastic, but trying to keep my dignity the whole time. Wrestle with it. Singing prayers is a wonderful thing to see. In fact, these psalms are songs. But again, sometimes I think prayer is just a thing we do in the jolly times. When I'm feeling good, I pray. But when I'm feeling bad, well, God's absent, so I can't pray. But the psalms very often it's the other way around. It's in particular in times of prayer when he comes to the Lord, as psalmist does. And we see his challenges, don't we? In verse 3, he moans. He's praying, but he's moaning. Uh, his spirit is fainting. He's incredibly discouraged. His prayers aren't being answered in the way that he wants. And verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He is arrested by his troubles. We've all had that experience, haven't we? of troubled thoughts. We go to bed. You might go to bed very quickly, but then you wake up an hour later and you're buzzing with uh, th- those anxieties or those troubles. Uh, I always think sometimes, uh, in the one hand, I've slept through the night. But the other hand, I've literally seen every hour on the clock, on my digital clock next to my bed, I've seen it saying, you know, 1.12, 2.45, 3.15, 4.35. Uh, and I realise, actually, although I've been asleep, I've only been half asleep, half awake, because I'm troubled And it feels like the Lord is keeping our eyes open. He won't let us sleep. And then we feel discouraged. At our best, we remember what God has done in the past. Look at verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Verse 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. In many ways, he's doing the right thing. He's saying, I'm going to think about what God has done in the past. He remembers the story of salvation that we have in the scriptures. But his past doesn't match his current experience. His song on the night was probably uh, some song about what God had done in the past to rescue Israel. So why won't he do that now? He's saying, God, why won't you get of my troubles now? Maybe he remembers how God clothed Adam and Eve with garments after their big fall. And maybe he remembers how God rescued Joseph from the pit and made him prime minister. Maybe he remembers how God rescued Israel from Uh, slavery to the promised land maybe he remembers how God rescued uh, Ruth and Naomi from their total destitution and provided for them and so in verse 7 to 9 the psalmist then shows that his experience is very different from how God treated the heroes of the scriptures and he asked basically the same question in verse 6 to verse 9, five or six times, depending how you, how you uh, split it. Look at verse 7 to 9. He's basically asking the same question again and again and again. And the question is this, has God changed? Has God changed? But in asking these questions, he comes to the moment of realisation. It's very good for him to ask these questions. 
A Christian is someone who prays, a Christian is someone who doubts, but perhaps it's better to say a Christian is someone who wrestles with their doubts. They don't just doubt and leave alone, they wrestle with their doubts. So look at verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever? So hold on a second, the Lord feels like he's spurning, but will he really do that forever? And never again be favourable? Hold on a second, the Lord's always been favourable. Could he suddenly have changed? Uh, Verse 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Well, it can't have done. In Lamentations, chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Are his promises at an end for all time? Well, hold on a second. God's, provenance, God's promises, his public promises, his covenants, they're everlasting. That was part of the promise. It wasn't time bound. It was everlasting promise. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Oh, oh yeah, I meant to be gracious, but I wasn't this time. Has he shut out? Uh, has his anger, has he in anger shut up his compassion? No, no, no. How could that be? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. God can't forget to be something that he actually is. It's not he forgets to be gracious and compassionate. He can't forget it because he is gracious and compassionate. It's not something that sometimes somebody isn't. It's who he is. He's gracious and compassionate. So God is good to give us this psalm because in it he reminds us that he knows us. He knows that we are prone to think some crazy things. We're prone to sort of toy with believing some crazy things. But in wrestling with those things, the psalmist starts to articulate his own foolishness. And we would do well to do the same. Being honest with God, with what we're actually saying he's like. And in doing that, we realize that he's not. He asks and answers his own question. And of course, the answer to has God changed? The answer is no. That's the message throughout the scriptures beginning to end. Uh, Living this side of the cross, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.8 is the same yesterday and today and forever. The one we saw who died for us on the cross in the past is just as gracious today as he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven interceding for us. And it's the same gracious one who will return and embrace us with his open arms and welcome us into glory. He never changes. God never changes. And the psalmist might be going through a major period of doubt, but he does the right thing. He takes his doubts to God. He wrestles. uh, He admits his doubts to God. And he looks away from himself. And as he looks at the character of God, his troubles, as we'll see, start to go away. Again, uh, children or adults, I don't, is, you, you probably know this, but if you want to balance, what you need to do is not look into yourself, but look away from yourself. If you stand on one foot, if I sort of go cross-eyed, I'm sort of all over the place. But if I look away, uh, that is how to keep balance. And that is exactly the same thing of the Christian life. When we look into ourselves, we look at all our troubles and our anxieties, we just think about them nonstop. Of course, there's time to think about these things, but then that's all we think about. We will not be firm and steady as Christians. But when we look outside of ourselves to God's character, looking at his mercy, looking at his compassion, looking at his promises, that is when we will stand firm as Christians. So a Christian in prayer, a Christian in doubt, a Christian wrestling with his doubts. And finally, that takes us on to the rest of the psalm when we see a Christian with confidence. A Christian with great confidence. So having remembered God's character, the psalmist resolves to appeal 
and cry aloud again to God. But this time, he's confident. He was praying at the beginning, he's praying at the end, but now he's great confident. He's greatly confident because, look at verse 10. He says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. It's quite interesting. He doesn't just appeal to the Most High. He appeals to the years of the hand of the Most High. What does that little phrase do? I will appeal to the years of the hand of the Most High. He's appealing to God's track record of getting his people out of trouble. He says, if God is the God of Adam and Eve, if God is the God of Joseph, if God is the God of Jacob, if God is the God of Israel, if God is the God of Ruth and Naomi and many others, I'm going to appeal to that track record of this God. That's what I'm going to do. And now I'm going to be confident to approach him. He takes his trouble to the never-changing God. And the psalmist wants us to take our trouble to the never-changing God in the confidence of just that. He never changes. And that's really the main thing that I want us to go away with this morning. It's with confidence to take our troubles to the never-changing God, to know that God never changes. It might look like life is a total mess. It might look like our life is completely unstable. And Milo, we think, how, how am I going to get through this? But our God never changes. And it is his character to look after his people. It is his character to love his people. And he has made wonderful promises to his people. And that God will never change. And, and as the psalmist takes his eyes off himself onto God, his demeanor changes. And he's led to praise. Look at verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. Your way is holy. He's now delighting in God, even though he still faces huge troubles. And again, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, if you're not a believer here this morning, this is what's on offer to you. To have a great peace in times of troubles. It's not that your troubles go away. It's not that you don't feel burdened by them, but added to them, in a sort of mysterious way, there is a peace knowing that somehow, in the end, everything's going to be okay, and that somehow there is one who is in control and actually working all things somehow for good in a way that you and I could never see. And at the end of the psalm, 14 to 20, we get an extended meditation on the reasons why the psalmist can praise God. And really, he remembers the exodus of Israel from Egypt. And this remembrance is what gives him joy in times of trouble. It's the twin truths that God does not change, and God has delivered his people in the past. And when you remember those two things, God doesn't change. And God has delivered people in the past. You know that he'll deliver you today as well from your difficult circumstances. And so that's why we should take our troubles to the never changing God. And as we read about the Exodus in the psalm, we see loads of detail about God's never changing character. So verse uh, 15, we see he doesn't just look after any old people. Verse 15, you redeemed, uh, sorry, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He particularly looks after his people. If you're a Christian, God is committed to looking after you. In verse 16 to 18, we see God's power over the world that he has created. Lots of 
pictures about this warrior God, this God who is in control of nature, the most powerful thing. Now, it's important to remember this point that God has not promised to get us out of every single promise in the here and now. We read thousands of stories about Christians, hardcore Christians, giving everything to their Lord, end up getting martyred, end up getting tortured, end up having everything taken away from them, and then ultimately dying. The promise is not that God will get you out of trouble here and now, like putting money in a slot machine and uh, getting out your gift. That is not what's on promise here. The promise, though, is that God hears your voice in trouble, that he will ultimately redeem you, and that he is with you in the here and now. And in 16 to 18, we see his power. And we see that not only is it possible for God to get you out of your current circumstance, it is actually easy for him to get you out of your current circumstance. And so we think, well, hold on a second, well, then why isn't he? Why isn't he getting me out of my current circumstance? Well, that's, that is then, we need to say, in the same way, again, that people in the past cried out to him and he didn't easily take them out of uh, their circumstances then and there, he always ultimately redeems his people. So if the Lord is not redeeming you uh, in a way that you would like in your current circumstances, it is not because he doesn't have the power to and it is not that he is suddenly not good. Rather, he is doing uh, something uh, better. For God uh, works in all things for the good of those who love him, that they might be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And then the final two verses, we're reminded that the psalmist uh, trusts the unseen God. The God who delivered his people from Egypt into the promised land was never actually visible. Verse 19, your footprints were unseen. They couldn't see their good and powerful God, but he was nonetheless at work for them and many times for them actually it looked very ordinary it looked very ordinary they were just led by Moses and Aaron verse 20 it looked very ordinary Moses and Aaron would not have been impressive uh, particularly impressive looking people very often people in Israel just thought they were useless Moses and Aaron Aaron in particular sometimes he was completely useless uh, Moses was not the perfect leader and yet in an unspectacular way very often God used them to take his people to the promised land. And of course, he'll lead us to. The Lord didn't stop uh, Israel's trouble as soon as they'd left Egypt. Rather, he led them out of their trouble, ultimately to the promised land. And that is a picture of where we're heading. And that is, of course, what the Lord will do for us as well. He's done it in the past. He'll do it again for us uh, too. Now, of course, since uh, the psalm has been written, two things have changed. Not God's, he stayed the same, but history has changed. And in that history, he's got an even greater track record, but he's delivered even more people, and he's made even more promises. And so, like the psalmist, we should, with even more confidence, take our troubles to the never-changing God. He's got an even greater track record now than he had, He's revealed his love for us even more now in sending his own son to die for us. That's what the Apostle Paul says. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
His pledge of love, his pledge of deliverance, his pledge of faithfulness is now Jesus' death on the cross that we'll be celebrating shortly. And again, as we look to the future, he who raised the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, will raise us also with Jesus. So God's track record of looking after his people in the past means he is reliable to look after his people today and in the future. Even if our troubles almost break us now, he will never leave us. He led his people out of slavery into the promised land. He'll lead us out of this fallen world into the new creation. And he'll be with us now as we go through challenges. And that is why uh, we must speak to him to have that comfort that he hears us. And he is the good, powerful God. So let us take our troubles to him, the never-changing God. The nights might be long. Your soul might refuse to be comforted. What do you do? Well, follow the lead of the psalmist. He remembers God's acts in the past. He's honest to God with his doubts and he wrestles them through. He asks God if his love has ceased. He asks God if his promises have never ceased. And in the asking, he realizes, of course they haven't. Well, let us do the same thing. Let us come to our senses, appeal to that God. Let us hold out our hands in dependence upon him. And remembering that our God is the God who never changes, who will always redeem his people, who has proved all this in the coming, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us continue to walk in this fallen world, knowing that he's totally reliable, that he will never change and that one day he will redeem us. Let's pray to him now. Father in heaven, you know how quick we are to doubt your character. You know how slow we are to pray. Father, forgive us. Father, change us. What a pledge of your love and mercy and grace you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a promise you've given us to be with us now by your spirit. And what a promise you have given us to work all things for good and to take us home. Thank you that none of us can be snatched out of your hand. Thank you that none of us can be snatched out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that your spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our future into inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Give us faith that depends on you. Give us words that appeal to you. Uh, Give us the comfort that we know you're with your people, that you're good and that you're powerful and that you will take us home. In Jesus' name, amen.